Hi again, and welcome back to The Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and every week I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Like self-love or inner child, the term codependent smacks of pop psychology psychobabble. And to make matters worse, it's becoming shorthand for a whole host of unhealthy behaviors. But what does it really mean? And does it describe your relationship? This week, by listener request, we'll talk about what codependent really means and what you can do to set things right. Okay, why did the codependent cross the road? To help the chicken make a decision. Since its debut in the late 70s and early 80s, the term codependent has become the stuff of punchlines, but it is a real thing. While not an actual diagnosis, the term codependent was first used to describe how family members of individuals with substance abuse issues might actually interfere with recovery by overhelping. As the term spread, so did the idea of the importance of context for people struggling with substance abuse. Indeed, before the shift, treatment tended to focus purely on the addicted individual without much thought for their broader support system. But since then, the term has gotten a lot looser, so much so that it's become a catch-all for any enabling, overdependent, or dysfunctional relationship. At its worst, anyone who offers support for a loved one risks being dragged down a rabbit hole labeled codependent. So what is it exactly? For our purposes today, we'll focus on the overhelper side of the aisle. So here are four ways to tell if you're part of the problem and three ways to stop. Okay, feature number one is saving, quote, broken baby birds. Folks who find themselves in codependent relationships are often genuinely caring and empathetic, but we all know where a road paved with good intentions takes us. Of course, not all supportive efforts are pathological. Just the opposite, in fact. A 2013 review of 40 studies found that voluntary helping improves not only life satisfaction and well-being, but also goes along with decreased depression and later mortality. And who doesn't want that? Not to mention, all humans crave close connection with others. Plus, it's hard to see a friend or partner suffer and not step in. But what pushes helping into overhelping is that both people depend on it. When you're so pulled by the need to save the other person or feel so guilty about allowing them to weather their self-made consequences that it creates a vicious enabling cycle, help becomes more than just help. So if you're on the helping side of codependency, you may have a need to rescue others. You may be drawn to people who are vulnerable, in perpetual crisis, immature, or not yet ready to take responsibility for their own lives. It's caregiving crossed with neediness crossed with control, rescuing people whether they want to be rescued or not. Feature number two is getting out of your league. Through no fault of your own, the problems of the people you are drawn to are way bigger and more entrenched than your capacity to fix them. It's not that you aren't giving your all. It's that layers upon layers of problems can't be solved from the outside by one well-meaning person. Not to mention that the relationship costs you Far more from being just inconvenient, it's a sinkhole of time, money, and energy. Feature number three, self-sacrifice is part of who you are. Being a martyr provides an identity, a sense of purpose, and self-worth. Plus, it might also be a welcome distraction from your own problems. This is why it's so hard to break a codependent relationship. 
The extreme helping is vital to the helper, so there's no incentive to make yourself obsolete. At its ultimate worst, codependent caregiving can become a kind of manipulation. And finally, feature number four, nothing really changes. This is the crux of the issue. Of course, it's natural and healthy to want to support a partner or family member through difficult situations. But what makes such efforts codependent is when helping perpetuates the bad behavior. For instance, codependency might run the gamut from passive, like spending lots of time worrying about your partner, but never objecting to their poor choices. Or it might be more active, like covering for the person, hiding the evidence of the aftermath from others, or even funding bad behavior. In a nutshell, the saving actually keeps the problems in place to ensure more saving will be needed. To sum up, think of codependency as a symbiotic transaction. You provide rescue in exchange for being needed and wanted. Okay, if you recognized yourself or someone close to you in the first half of the episode, or if referring to your friends as your caseload is getting tiresome, what can you do? Of course, you can still help, but you want to offer a hand up, not a never-ending handout. So here are three things to try. Tip number one is give yourself permission to help 50%, 75%, or even 90% rather than 110%. Of course, you can be helpful, but allow yourself not to be the only one to come to the rescue all the time at any time. For some perspective, take a look at the less intense relationships in your life, or even your job or volunteer positions. Remind yourself that you can be useful and appreciated without an expectation of chronic firefighting or total dependency. In short, search your life for relationships that nurture and engage you without draining you and use them as a model. That's the balance you're going for. Tip number two is draw a line between offering reasonable help and unreasonable help. Did you hear about the codependent who flunked geography? He couldn't draw any boundaries. Indeed, a hallmark of codependency is that the help keeps the recipient from growing developmentally appropriate skills to take care of themselves. So draw some lines between giving them a hand and doing it for them. This is better known as setting boundaries. Perhaps you're willing to let them sleep on your couch, but you'd like them to start paying for groceries. Perhaps you're happy to drive them to work since it's on your way, but you're no longer willing to wake them up or wait around for them until you're late. Likewise, you might set a limit on the number of times you'll bail them out of a sticky situation or raise the threshold of what, quote, emergencies you're willing to drop everything for. Of course, you don't have to be cruel. Don't set them up for failure by taking away all the support you've been providing all at once, but roll it back so you're no longer their human shield from their own bad choices. Critically, once the boundaries are set, you have to follow through. This will feel wrong at first. It's really hard to interrupt the pattern of coming to the rescue. So sometimes it helps to enlist a third party to remind you of the long-term benefits while you're weathering the short-term pushback. A final thought. If you set boundaries and they punish you by humiliating you or hurting you, you've moved past codependency and into abuse. Tip number three. Take care of yourself, but with a twist. No matter what side of the codependent aisle you're on, helper or helped, take care of yourself. And that may sound cliche, but what's different is the function of that advice. So this is a change from the usual, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else rationale. Indeed, we're trying to get away from overhelping in this case. 
So instead, take care of yourself because by showing through your own behavior that you're valued and worth taking care of, you might start to believe it yourself. Likewise, daring to take care of yourself bleeds over into how you allow others to treat you as well. To wrap it all up, codependency is very real and hard stuff. But with some perspective and guts, you can make sure you don't end up as just another punchline. For even more savvy, get every Savvy Psychologist episode delivered straight to your inbox by signing up for the newsletter at quickanddirtytips.com slash newsletters. Or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, listen on Spotify, or like on Facebook, or you'll find links to lots of archived episodes no longer available on iTunes. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and of course, The Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. I'll see you next week for a happier, healthier mind. Are you tired of the constant battle with anxiety and panic? I've got a podcast that I think you'll love. It's called The Anxiety Coaches Podcast, where the host, Gina, gives you your weekly dose of tranquility and inspiration. Two new episodes drop weekly, packed with practical tips and lifestyle changes to help you calm that racing heart and bring peace back into your life. So if you're ready to bid farewell to sleepless nights and constant worry, tune into the Anxiety Coaches podcast and embark on a journey towards lasting calmness and a life free from anxiety's grip. Remember, it's not just a podcast, it's a lifeline. Join Gina on the Anxiety Coaches podcast and let her soothing words be the balm your nervous system needs. Listen in and start your path to healing today. The Anxiety Coaches Podcast.com because healing begins the first time you listen.